Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a podcast from the Smart Material Collective, made by nerds, funded by the listeners. Is hair a material? Are biscuits a material? Are crystals a material? Is plastic a material? Is porridge a material? Can gases be a material? Are eggs a material? Is water a material? What do you call everything that isn't a material? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at your question. And yet you continue to do so. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Real Talk. As always, I'm your host, Anna Pajajski, and this episode I talk to silversmith John Castle. I met John in September after I did a talk at Gravity Fields Festival in Grantham and we got together a few weeks later in London to discuss this amazing metal. I started by asking John how he became a silversmith. Well, when I was at school, a long time ago now, but we had um, metalwork classes and woodwork classes and in the metalwork classes we had various uh, projects we had to work on and one of them was a little uh, copper pin bowl which was quite basic, and then we finished that and did all the other uh, projects we had to do. And at the end of it, the um, metalwork master said, you can make whatever you like. So I thought, oh, um, what shall I do? And I suddenly thought um, I could make a, a fruit bowl for my mum. And, uh, and the metalwork master was really good and uh, made a nice fancy edge on it. He was pleased with it, went on show at the school, and then the metalwork master said, um, have you thought about doing this for a living? And well, I didn't know what he, what he actually meant for that. And mm. I, he said, well, you could be a silversmith. I didn't know what silversmith did, but it sounded good. Sounds cool, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, so I said, oh, OK. So when our careers master came, um, he interviewed and I said, I want to be a silversmith. Well, he'd never heard of a silversmith. Anyway, to cut a long story short, my, my, my parents eventually uh, tracked, tracked down a, a college, which was the Central School of Art and Crafts at the time, and uh, went up for an interview for that. And got a place in that, and it was sort of a, a year's pre-apprenticeship uh, class. And that's how we really got started. Wow, so from a very early age then. Well, and I've been so so lucky because it's a thing that I've absolutely loved all the way through my life. And uh, I got an apprenticeship at a uh, an ecclesiastical workshop where they made uh, metal balustrade in, in iron, and then had a brass workshop. And then at the top of the uh, factory they had a silver workshop which sort of we were the creme de la creme in the, in the place. But it's real, it's a dump of a workshop. It's, it's opposite um, Penterville Prison. Okay. And um, it was out of, out of Dickens' times. It was awful. Uh, the the um, workshops there were very crude, but I didn't know any different then. And I went through this uh, this apprenticeship, five-year apprenticeship, and learnt. 
on the way. Yeah. So did you get to work with a whole array of metals initially? Um, well, they, they they actually had some some brass that, that they that they worked on, but the main in the workshop when I was an apprentice, it was uh, it was it was silver. Uh, when when we were at college, we worked with a, um, a gilding metal, which is sort of an alloy of copper, and they put uh, zinc with it to have it a similar working properties of silver. Is that so you can make lots of mistakes and it doesn't cost as much? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't cost you anything. But yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Um, from there, when when we when I was an apprentice, you start on very basic items, um, ma- ma- making little little silver tops for, for cruets and that because it was ch- ecclesiastical type of work, and then and then you began to work on larger pieces up to chalices and saborias in silver and, and so on from there. Wow! Um, and then when I finished my apprenticeship, I, I went to the. Uh, because when you finish your apprenticeship, you you have you have to have to go to the uh, to the boss of the company and negotiate a wage, okay, <laughs> an hourly rate as it was then, and and the uh, top what top smiths in the trade then were earning sort of ten shillings an hour, which is sort of fifty pence okay. an hour. A long time ago, <laughs> and uh, and and the, the the boss thought, well, I'm still an apprentice really because it's all he's known me as, and he wouldn't pay me that, that that amount of money, and he paid me something like nine and six, and I said, well, I'll accept that at the moment, but if I can. Find Find a better offer. Mm. I'm probably going to leave, which is which is foolhardy in his part because I knew all the work then, and mm. I could do all the work, make the altar crosses and things. And then I heard from from a, a friend of mine who was at college with me that he was uh, that Stuart Devlin was uh, taking on Smiths, and I thought Stuart Devlin. Stuart Devlin and Gerald Benny were like the creme de la creme in the silver trade, and I'm thinking, would I be good enough to go and work there? And anyway, this guy said, go on, go, go and ask for an interview. So I went for an interview and um, I worked, worked with Stuart for um, three, three years, I suppose. And we made some fantastic work there. And it was a complete, um, completely different from my old workshop because in the old workshop, you had no real heating. The benches were pretty crude. You had no angle poised lamps unless you bought one in yourself. Um, but in these workshops that Stuart had, had modern lathes, Colchester lathes and milling machines in beautiful benches. And you had Fawcett pay, which we didn't get before. <laughs> he, he was the first, first workshop, or first company that, that I'd heard of that worked flexi time. Okay. And he said, as long as you put in your 40 hours over the week or the equivalent over the month, I'm happy. So if you want to come in late, you can, or early, you can, which was fantastic because I was a single man then. So I was never <laughs> early. <laughs> And I was always work, working late yeah. uh, um, of an evening because I didn't have a family to go home to. Mm-hmm. But it was absolutely fantastic. I absolutely loved every minute. I made some really superb work. What it kind was, of items did you make? Um, I made I made four um, trophies that, that, that uh, Prince, Prince Philip uh, presented to a motorcycling fraternity in Australia. Wow. I made those. I made a table centrepiece for the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists. Mm-hmm. I made a... A table centerpiece for Sainsbury's to commemorate their centenary year. I made a pair of salt and pepper pots for Silla Black. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, yeah, lots of lots of different things. Fantastic. So that must have been the moment that you knew you'd arrived. This was sort of a dream job for you at this stage. It was. It was. Yeah, it was fantastic. I know it sounds sounds dark, but I can remember going to when they used to have free concerts in High Park. And I went with a whole pile of friends to see the Rolling Stones mm-hmm. uh, do, a, do a free concert. And at the end of, end of the concert, we're all sort of milling around. So what should we do? Where should we go? And at, at that time, I was working on a, a big um, silver salver that had a lot of leaves all around the outside of it. And uh, and I said, I said, oh well, I, th- I said, I think I'll, I'll go into the workshop, which was in in St John Street in Clerkenwell. 
and work on this. So it was on a, on a Sunday. <laughs> they looked at me and I said, oh, no, I think I was going to do, do that. And I went in there. But I was happy as anything on my own in the workshop and just, just creating, really. At what point did you branch out on your own then? Well, after th- three years, I was, I, was, I was with Stuart. And towards the end of that, my, my father contracted cancer and sadly died. Um, and my wife as she is now but my girlfriend as she was then uh, we, we we had planned planned to go into do a hippie trip into europe and into north africa okay <laughs> and got got a, a van together over the time and then one one day i mean my mum and dad said because my father was alive when we when we spoke about it he said you're mad you've got a you know top job in silversmithing mm. and i said well you know i want to do it and i thought mm, am i doing the right thing and um, and once we crossed the channel that was it it was long was like Cutting the bonds mm. of the, and the ties, and we just tried to travel down through Europe. I put a few basic tools in the in the van, okay, and some bits of silver that I had. Nice, so you Think, can keep working. Thinking if I had to, I can keep working. Yeah. Eventually, we ended up in in Spain, and there were some friends of ours that, that were staying in a place called Neja, which in those days was there was very little tourism there. Mm. Um, now it's completely changed, and um, and we sort of free camped outside. Nerja in a uh, place called Marrow, in the foothills of some mountains, <laughs> and and there there was a freshwater spring there, um, and we, we used to go into Nerja and see uh, see our friends in there, and there was a, uh, a French man who had a boutique, and he heard that I was a silversmith, and he said, "Have you got any jewellery to sell?" So I said, "No," and he said, "Well, he's looking for some." Okay. So so I said to uh, Jenny, I said, "Well, we could always make some." So we set up a little workshop in the in the, the foothills of these mountains and wow. got a, a log off the beach uh, to, to to put some silver um, stakes in, and we just sort of sat. I sat on cross-legged and, and made some basic rings up, and um, Jenny um, cleaned them up and polished them with with charcoal and olive oil, and then <laughs> and then some some some. Um, Silver clean of some sort. I can't remember what it was now. I mean, we handed them to uh, this guy Michelle, and uh, he, he sold those. And then a couple of weeks later, he can have some more. So we made some more, and then um, we, we decided we either we're going to stay here for the season, mm. and uh, or, or, we, or we move on. So we so we actually got an apartment, or a little little masonette thing in Spain, um, and it had some bedrooms, things like that. No workshop, so we mm. converted a workshop in a bedroom into a workshop, and then up on the roof there was a very crude sort of washing machine. And uh, I thought, oh, there could be an electric motor in there. Turned it upside down, stripped out the electric motor, made up a very crude bench mm-hmm. and, and turned that in, into a polishing motor. Wow. So there we stayed for the summer. Uh, so that was, that, that was good. And then we sold to, to him. And then we went down to uh, Marbella and they had a street market there every week. Um, and we sold in the street market in Marbella. And then on the Sunday, we went to the Hilton Hotel and they had a craft market there. And we used to camp out. And there was a the whole... whole and a friend so is a, it's an artist and leather maker and photographer and that sort of thing. We all, all trooped off down to Marbella. <laughs> so it's good. Had a good good time. And then, then eventually we went went into Morocco and travelled around Morocco for a bit and then came back to England. So you managed to fund your travels using your craft, using your trade. It was the easiest thing. Yeah. We earned more money there. Than I did in England. Really? We, and it was so easy. Well, A, a we didn't pay tax, mm-hmm. needless to say. And um, 
Uh, yeah, it was just so easy. And we used to go around. I used to go around the antique shops and, and buy bits of, of uh, crystal mm-hmm. droplets to turn into earrings and and, um, and pendants. Uh, but one of the interesting things we found was that that um, when we were when we were selling, because there'd be lots of um, women normally buy jewellery, as a as, uh, and. Um, and they would be happier talking to Jenny because they would be perhaps in bikinis and shorts and that. Mm-hmm. And if I was lurking around, <laughs> so I used to have to go and go and sit in the van with, a, <laughs> with the van doors open and um, and watch, you know, while Jenny was selling. And she could sell because the girls were quite happy mm-hmm. trying on bits of jewellery and, um, you know, do I look all right and she'd hold up a mirror and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Oh, a good was, team then. Yeah, it you worked out. It's an in, in, interesting uh, breakthrough into sales. Yeah. <laughs> you learn an awful lot in doing that. Yeah. So when you came back to England, then was it a bit of a sort of bump back to reality? Um, well, we, we we sort of came came back, had this grand idea about raising, getting some money together because there was a big house in a place called Frigliana, which is just just back from the coast from there to to, uh, to buy some buy this huge property, <laughs> which all these uh, which had loads of rooms in, and mm. there's and all these other craftsmen were like struggling with paying the bills. And I thought we could get this and set up a commune. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> How, however, um, I didn't have any idea of how to, how to raise money, and eventually got a job with a with a, with a guy in Kensington. And then when we were in Kensington working at about, well, my mum was complaining about having all my tools because when I was an apprentice, I was like a kleptomaniac for tools. I was making them, buying them, so I had loads of tools. And um, she was complaining about them being in the garage. So I said to, to my wife Jenny, I said, I said, well. I said, if we can get a shed somewhere, even if it's in a field, I can put all the tools in there and she can't moan anymore. And then we heard about a house in Grantham that was that was cheap and we went up there and that's it. That's why I'm in Grantham. That's why you've been there ever since. Yeah, it's been, and it's been really good, yeah. Brilliant. Well, we've been talking about silver as if it's just one single material, but I know that there's all sorts of different alloys that you might use in your work, can you tell me a bit about the different kinds of silver? Well, there's um, the sterling silver, which is uh, which is the most common in 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 uh, jewellery and in in large in silver teapots and that sort of thing. That's nine hundred twenty five parts of uh, fine silver in a thousand. And you'll sometimes see nine two five on silver pieces. That's right. It'll, it'll, it'll say nine nine two five with English hallmark, and it was it was marked with a, a lion, a lion, a lion passant, which is sideways on. Um, so so that that is a purity mark, and then. The London Assay Office is a leopard's head, and I'll have my maker's mark if I'm if it's mine, and and then the date letter after that. But so that's that's nine two five, which is the most common, isn't it? And it's it, it works so well for for jewellery because it's hard enough. Because fine silver is just so soft, it's not not practical. That would be hundred percent silver or thereabouts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but there is a there is a, another purity which is called Britannia silver, which isn't used a lot. I mean, there was a workshop that actually just used Britannia silver, and that was their selling point. Um, and that's uh, nine hundred fifty six parts in every thousand fine silver. Okay, that was that was softer. Uh, Easier to work, mm. um, so they're they're the main they're the main sort of qualities of silver. Silver now nowadays is is, is made with sort of pretty standard alloy, whereas in in old days days gone by hundred hundred years ago or more or two hundred years ago, each little workshop they used to have to, to uh, alloy their own metal. Oh wow! And so they would buy fine silver and then they would alloy it. And so each workshop um, had their own sort of recipe. Uh, depending on the type of work that they were doing, they would they would they would put various uh, other other metals into it. So much silver, uh, silver and copper, and whatever other um, alloy they actually they actually used. Mm. 
So uh, in, in antique silver, I mean, when you get a lot of people, or some people, not a lot of people, one or two silversmiths would uh, would, would try and forge uh, um, antique silver. Um, but now nowadays, with modern techniques, they've got these scanners, which you probably know all about, and you can just place it on the metal, and it'll give you a complete readout of every every al- every part of the alloy that, that's actually in there. Mm-hmm. So nowadays, they can they can tell whether it is old silver or modern silver, um, and it seems to have that seems to have cut that down a lot yeah. on, the, on the actual uh, alloy. But I, I first uh, came across that. I mean, it's obviously been around for a few years, mm. but I, I had to get um, some some metal anal- analyzed, and I thought it was it was certain grade of silver, and I, I took took it to uh, this um, place, and and they put it on this machine, and they gave me a complete readout of every element of the metals that were actually in there. I couldn't believe it. Um, but anyway, that's that's a, a good way of, uh, of checking that there are no, no forgeries yeah. going, going around on, on the metal. Um, and I suppose you could also um, pinpoint exactly where certain items had been made if there was a very specific alloy that was specific to only one place. Yeah, to any, any, any one workshop. I mean, they can actually probably tell exact, exactly um where where that workshop is mm. was, or or if if they actually changed the alloy during the in during the years when that workshop was was working, then they would probably be able to pinpoint that. I suppose it's much like uh, um, the, the the art world where they can they they can tell by the composition of the paint that they used as to whether it's it's good or whether it is when it was done within his uh, artist's lifetime. Yeah. So same same sort of thing. Yeah, so scientific techniques helping to fight forgeries and silver as well. <laughs> yes, I mean it's not so good for the forgers. No, <laughs> that's but, true. But it's um, yeah, it is. It, I mean, it's good for any, anyone who's, who's buying buying antiques in Europe. They they use a lot of um, eight hundred silver and France and Germany and that sort of thing. But that was uh, we were nine two five. Uh, in England, and are the other parts gold it, or but copper? No, it's copper, copper, copper mainly, and they used to use a cadmium in it as well. Uh, to uh, interesting, it's, it's all unknown then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, but, but main, mainly copper, uh, which which um, when you actually work in it, it it uh, it, it, it turn, turns black when you're when you're actually um, annealing it but that's another process okay um well then maybe we can go on to talking about processes and techniques that you yeah. use t- yeah. to to shape silver okay i mean when uh, working with with silver i've uh, i've never ceased to be amazed at how far you could stretch it mm. and move it and bend it and um and it's it's just so so durable. Um, yeah, silver is is like a lot of other metals, and that, and that when you actually work in it, you you bend it backwards and forwards. All the molecules in it, um, they they get angry if you like, <laughs> yeah. and and they all get stiff and and uh, angry. And then to actually calm them down, you have to and do a process called annealing, and, and that is heating it up to a sort of red hot cherry red, and then either quenching it in the water or allowing it to cool down, and that puts all the molecules. Back nice and calm. It's like putting them on Valium for a little while. <laughs> I've never heard that explanation well, before, but I like it. Uh, and and then and then you can you can do the same again. You can start hammering it and bending it around, and it stiffens up. And then you anneal it, and you can do that. I mean, endless almost. Mm. Yeah. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So you've brought some objects here to show me. So, so when, I, when I started these, I started off with four pieces of, of metal, all the same size, all flat. And I, I dropped one out as we, as we came up. So, so from the, the, the first one, which is that sh- shallow dish, is um, that sort of blocking it to get a little bit of shape to it. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I, I, would, uh, I would start to raise it. This is a process called raising. It's a, it's a process that isn't used so much now because it's uh, too expensive and because it's all handmade. And in modern days, uh, manufacture, they would use uh, spinning Mm-hmm. So there's so there's a flat circle in the middle of it, and then there's more steep sides, um, and then there's a sort of rim around the edge that's sort of wavy, sort of bit bit sort of cockily. Yeah. yeah when, when when you would start when I'd start to make that, I'd I'd draw a, a circle in the in the middle of the the first sheet, uh, which is going to be the base of the uh, of the cup, and which is which is there now, um, and then. Then you'd start to hammer from there up the sides, and and as it's go as it's, as you're hammering up, the the uh, top edge begins to go cockley, yeah, goes, goes up and down, um, and then when you complete that course of what it is raising, then hopefully the top edge of it will actually straighten out, and um, and then we do a a, a a process called corking, and corking is where you hammer on the actual edge of the metal. Mm-hmm. to hammer it back into itself to try and thicken it up because at the end of the, the process I wanted to have a, a nice thick edge so when you're drinking from it it's not a sharp edge of metal and, and it thickens up. So you, you, you do the corking, hammering it back into itself after each course of hammering and, and then um, you obviously anneal it. We spoke mm-hmm. about that as well, uh, which it softens the metal up again and then you go through the same process and gradually the uh, the metal closes up and it just gets more into a sort of a cup shape. Yeah, so uh, number two is quite shallow, like a bowl, a sort of breakfast bowl. And then by number three, um, the base of it is really sort of quite narrow now and then it sort of um, opens out like a kind of funnel. Yeah. So you can see exactly where you've got halfway down this one. <laughs> That's right, and you can just see how much the the, the, the hammer is actually pushing the metal inwards yeah. uh, every time, probably, I don't know, five mil, six mil, 
um, going going in. Yeah, the whole surface has kind of got these little dimples on it, which yeah, is obviously where you've all the, struck. It's all, it's all the hammer marks, and, you, and you'd hammer that onto a, a, a metal stake, and it's not a it's not a complete circle. It's just just a, a, um, a segment of the of the of the circle, I suppose, going round. Um, and then you just carry on ham- hammering it in, uh, corking the edge as you go in. Again, it's getting thicker. You can see mm. um, on there. Although this this is this is all work that's done with hammers and that, but I mean any, anybody at home in the on the kitchen table can actually make pieces of jewellery um, because you can get a product now which is called silver clay, and that's um, fine silver particles, I suppose, mixed in with a with a sort of a clay um, product, mm. and you can sort of it's like putty, and you can squeeze it around and turn it into all different shapes, and then. Uh, which is it looks sort of like pastry really in that color okay. um but you can actually fire that afterwards so after you've got it into the shape you can put it through through a kiln um or or through a on a, a blowtorch mm-hmm. and and you burn the the clay stuff away and it leaves leaves you with uh, fine silver in oh, wow. the shape of a ring or, or earrings or pendants very cool and is it porous the the silver at the end uh, at the end of it if you if you look at it under a uh, um, magnifying glass I mean it's like a little, little bit of very fine sponge okay um so so it is it is porous but yeah. the but structurally it's probably not very strong but mm-hmm. I mean you you could wear it as a, as a ring yeah so that's that's really good that's fairly new product that's mm-hmm. been out around for probably about maybe 15 years cool. uh, but anyone can can have a go at it and I think it, it it sort of opens up I mean you could make a little little pot out of it I suppose really yeah if you've got enough of it and sh- shaped it like a little thumb pot pot that used to make in pottery yeah um, yeah and i guess yeah. then you start calling upon ceramic techniques to work with silver almost yeah it's quite yeah unusual. that's right you could you could you could you could scrape into it and write into it and all sorts of things it's, yeah. so it's, it's quite an interesting product other things that pe- people can do quite easily at home is so uh, you can get silver wire which is, I mean, it's not expensive and you can you can make jewelry out of that by again on your kitchen table with very few basic tools and you know a couple of pairs of pliers you can make earrings or you can make a ring necklaces and you know it's such a, a great thing to actually start to to, to learn i know some people that have actually started in that way have now got little little workshops and they're, and they've uh, chapped in their own their, their own job and uh, and they're making items of jewelry and you can get uh, beads and that to, to put put on them but it's very satisfying to make these things mm. even if you just give, give them to friends at christmas but that sort of thing yeah. but it, that's it's really it's a nice nice thing and i encourage people to get making definitely <laughs> come back to silver if, yeah. I, if i can for, yeah. for a minute um um I mean, one of the one of the um, properties with 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 silver. Going back to the Egyptian t- times, the wealthy people had drinking vessels made of silver, mm-hmm. and they found that that their water would stay pure, you know, drinkable. In that, it didn't it didn't go off. And and then when the um, in America, when the people were in the wagon trains going across the country, um, they used to put a silver dollar in the water barrel. For the same reason, kept uh, kept the water good, and now we've actually just got on to the fact of using uh, silver in in the, in in plasters, 
and in hospital bandages and in hospital gowns because it's antibacterial. I think that's why I'm so healthy. <laughs> it's working in silver. Yeah, yeah definitely. Which is, which is a fantastic um, product of silver that they've actually just got, got onto and they're putting it into, uh, they, they were putting it into socks to stop them smelling. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Have you? Yeah, oh, right. yeah antimicrobial <laughs> socks. That's right. It's silver-based, that is. Yeah, yeah very interesting. Is... One of my favourite facts about silver is its association with... Um, the moon and femininity. The alchemical symbol for silver is a crescent moon. Right. And the moon has associations with femininity and gold has associations with the sun and the masculine. The idea that the ancients had about associations of metals with gods or or aspects of humanity, I think, is really interesting. Mm. Do you know much about the sort of the mythology around silver? I'm afraid I don't. You probably know more than I do. <laughs> When you hold fine silver or, or um, and a set especially fine gold, I had a little bit of it, which I've actually lost in the workshop. Anyway, I used to do little talks and I used to hand it round, make sure I got it back at the end of the talk. <laughs> um, but it's got such, such a, a, a feel to it and, and a look to it that, you, you know, I could, I could understand why people almost killed for it. I shouldn't say that really. But it had this real aura about it. It was, um, silver is so it's so heavy, mm. and it it it, it doesn't so t- tarnish very much. And it's fantastic just looking at it when it's yeah. in its pure state. Materials like gold and silver, you can find them in their n- native form. They don't come wrapped up in ores like uh, like copper or iron does. It, was that the reason that silver and gold have been worked with for so long throughout history? Because you could find them in their native state. Well, I, I guess so. I could never, I never understand. Well, I could never imagine how they how they used to find it, mm. the alluvial gold or silver, and then someone had the idea of of smelting it, and and then how to smelt it, and they used use charcoal um, smelt uh, furnaces to 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 actually smelt it. And I think who's who's the first guy that actually did this? Who suddenly thought, oh, let's. Um, I know. Put it in the fire and see what happens to it, and and then and then to work it from from there. I, I, it's I love to have been there <laughs> in those days and just see how they how they how they're doing it, and then how things have moved on to where where we are today. But you can just go and buy a sheet of mm-hmm. of silver, all different thicknesses, and same with silver wire. Whereas these old craftsmen used to have to have to get the silver, roll, try and roll it out, hammer it out, not roll it out. They probably didn't have rollers, mm-hmm. and then uh, and then learn how to work it and join it. Make, making the solder, you know, to sol- solder it, and that's yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a whole new, different, different ball game. Yeah, a lot of technology, and I suppose probably the foundation to metalworking. Once bronze came along and iron as mm-hmm. well, I guess it was probably the silversmiths that actually had that knowledge that could then go on to make larger metallic items out of these other sort of slightly harder wearing metals as well. I presume the the, the, the goldsmiths were the first first ones because that had a real richness to it and they and they could see it sort of smiling there and there's lots lots of um gold jewelry going back to the uh, egyptians and to see how they worked it and then you look at that uh to the tools that they had mm. um and how did they do it i look at it and thinking i don't know i could do that even with modern day tools and, and, <laughs> wow, they, yeah. and, and they worked worked that and uh, smelted it and uh, yeah i think it's yeah hold my hat up yeah, Take definitely. Yeah, um, I remember reading about making wires in ancient Egypt because today, mm-hmm. when you make a wire, you have a very small hole and you push a lump of metal through it and you draw out the wire by pulling it through. Yeah. They didn't have wire drawing ne- techniques like that, so they would have to make a really flat sheet of it and kind of roll it up like a sausage. 
as you roll it, it becomes denser and denser yes. until you have a, a long wire of it. Did they not uh, not hammer it at all or anything like that to thin it out? It was just all because how would they actually roll it to make it thinner? Did they put it in, must have put it in between yes. stones or something like 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 that so, to compress it? Yeah, hammered out into a flat sheet first and yeah. then rolled it round like a scroll yes, almost yes. and then made it into a wire like that, which is really kind of involved. Yeah, it is involved. Yeah, it's, <laughs> Very it's, it's, it's like how they how they made the um, uh, swords up where they would actually fold fold the metal. Over in itself and to make it really strong, it's like that's what so they get, get a, a grain actually going through the silver, yeah, or the, or the metal. Yeah, I didn't know that, so yeah. I'm learning, learning a lot. <laughs> no, I was I was actually looking trying to find out how far you could uh, you could uh, draw uh, an ounce of silver down into a thin wire and how far you could do it. And um, I wasn't very successful in that actually, but but in in gold, if you have an ounce of gold, I think it is. You can you can draw it out to a thin wire about sixty miles long. Whoa! I know, very fine bit. But uh, I did see another example where they rec- reckon you can draw, draw it down to I think it's over over a hundred miles, and it's sort of one micron one micron thick. Wow! I don't know how you and they do that, but they yeah. reckon, they reckon that they can. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Well, do you have any thoughts on kind of what the future might hold for silver? Because we've talked about it being a really ancient material. Mm. We started using it for jewellery. We still use it for jewellery. Do you think we always will? I think I think we always will. I always feel that silver is a very undervalued metal um, compared with gold. It's so it's so cheap, um, and you can get some fantastic. I mean, craftsmen can actually experiment a lot lot more with silver, and if it doesn't work, they haven't lost an awful lot of money. And uh, so, so silver's. In fact, I prefer silver in jewellery than than actually gold. Although it's, the gold's worth more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, silver's silver's nice. I'm, I'm. It's sad that that people don't use larger silver items now, and I think it's because they don't put they can't put them in dishwashers. That they right <laughs> um, cutlery and uh, things like teapots and that. I mean, it's all sort of things have changed an awful lot, mm. um, and you know, since 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 we had those in those days, but. Um, there's sort of not 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 a great use of domestic um, ware really with 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 silver. I mm. mean, a lot, a lot of people collect antiques, um, but but not um, not not so much the making. The workshops are actually made. I mean, in in London, I mean, that was the, it was the main place for silver workshops, and um, in years years gone by, there must have been about ten or twelve big workshops that had a lot lots of smiths in. And now I, I don't think there is there's there's any. There's probably one or two, mm. and there's one or two outside of London, but it's it's a it's a dying art. Is it? Mm, I think so. Yeah. Why, why do you think that is? Um, a there 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 isn't the um, demand for it. Uh, secondly, that uh, a lot of people that that, that have got uh, that they go off to off to um, university now or, or colleges and get a degree in it, uh, but sadly the people that that, that are, t- are teaching them there haven't haven't had trade experience and and invariably they've been to university, they've been been to college, got a degree in it, and probably worked in it a bit. And then they end up teaching, so so they're only teaching what they've been taught. Okay. And um, a colleague of mine is now is is he's uh, actually retired, but now he's he's given up his time uh, training these these people that are supposed to be the top of their profession in 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 ways that that you can work the silver, which they've, they've never never known. So they they haven't had that hands on experience. They, they, they haven't had the hands on experience, or people showing them how to. How they how how they can work it, mm. um, and so they end up 
de- designing work to the capability of what they can make. And so he's sort of saying, have you never heard of semen and raisin and that sort of joining a, 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 a cone up and then hammering it and to get a completely different shape out of it? So that's uh, that's one of the probably one of the reasons why. Mm. I mean, there are some great silversmiths around. Don't get me wrong, but they but they haven't had a lot of them haven't had that had that uh, luck of actually being taught by by uh, time served guys, I suppose, that have uh, done all sorts of work. When I was when I was at college, uh, the, the guy that used to take take us for history uh, of, of doing um, back to the Egyptian that sort of thing, he 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 told told us once about a about some some stoneware, some st- stone um, carvings that that would uh, that had been unearthed, and on the back of the stone, uh, one of the stonemasons had, had carved a, a little message, basically moaning about the foreman of the, of the things, saying that he wouldn't give them a rise and pay him any money. And that sort of stuck in my head. And so when I was an apprentice and nobody was, was looking, if I could write a message inside any item of silver... That I would, and I've done it ever since. And wow. so there's all little messages in there, and uh, probably the spelling's not particularly good. <laughs> but but um, I'd, I'd sort of write in who I was and uh, what was going on in the workshop a little bit. And I put my um, my, my parents' address. They lived in Norfolk at the time because I thought, well, they're fairly stable, whereas I was moving around in flats in London. Um, and I've, I've done that ever since. So there's like a bit of graffiti. I've got some <laughs> graffiti in the... Um, Liverpool Cathedral in the new one <laughs> in the in the back of the tabernacle there I'd have do do the silver plates where they enamelled on and, and before they actually went to be fitted I, I scrawled all in the back back of it <laughs> can you reveal what what you scrawled oh it's all very very basic stuff like you know some some sometimes what did I, what did I do I was working on a a, um, a sanctuary lamp for, for St Wolfram's Church which is which is in Grantham and I wrote in the back back of there that that uh, that I was going to the pub after <laughs> when I finished at the end is a Friday night I was going to the pub to meet a friend there and uh, I mentioned about my 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 daughters and how old they were and what they were doing um, and all bits and pieces those sort sort of things, and then about ten years later, it came back in for repair again. And I opened it up, and I thought, "Oh yeah, I forgot all about that." Put Aww. that there, so I added some more to it. <laughs> it's like your own personal diary, but in silver and distributed. Well, well I don't know. I, think, I often think that, that perhaps in, in in fifty years' time, somebody be repairing this, mm. maybe, and I'll open it up and say, "Oh God, who's this? <laughs> who's, who's put all this in, in the inside of there?" So it's um, it's been a been a thing of mine that the sort of thing I, I do. Yeah. Well, people of Grantham and the surrounding area, <laughs> where can they go and find your workshop and meet you? Well, they find find us in. Uh, I'm in uh, Westgate, number eighty four Westgate. I've been in Westgate ever since we came to Grantham, which is a eons ago now. Um, I have people travelling from all over the place. Actually, very honoured. I mean, people that come up from London. Wow. Where you think that people could go into Hatton Garden? And, uh, and they said, oh, no, we've heard about you and we really want to come up. I've had them, yeah, somebody in family in Brist- Bristol, the lady said, she said, I'll never want to have a piece of jewellery unless it's in a John Castle box to remember this. So, and and she, she's over in Bristol. So wow. So that's, 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 that's lovely to hear. And yeah, where can really. listeners have a look on your website and see some of your work? Um, www.johncustle.co.uk. Okay. And it's uh, two S's and two L's. Well, I think that's all we've got time for. So thank you so much for coming on Real Talk. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. So that was John Castle. Thanks very much to him for taking the time to come and talk to me. If you want to see the different stages of Silver Cup that we discuss in this episode, then head on over to our Twitter page. We're at Real Talk. That's R-I-A-L Talk. 
We always love to hear from you, so do get in touch as well to let us know what you think of the podcast and if you've got a material that you'd like to share. That's all for this time, so take care of yourselves and we'll be back in two weeks' time for another episode of Real Talk. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.